Now we come to a time of reading, reading today's text, which is from Matthew in chapter 4, verses 23 through to chapter 5, verse 12. So starting at 4.23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill and various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless us with great understanding. Thank you. I just want to thank Carl for the privilege of preaching God's word today. It's, um, I never would have expected that I'd be in Melbourne and then preaching to the people at Woodford. So I've never done this before. So this is a new experience for me. But I thank Carl for the privilege of being able to preach God's word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Father, this day we thank you for your word. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you moved the prophets and the apostles to write down these words. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that as we look at these particular words of the words of Jesus, that you will help us to understand it. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. We pray that your word would be our rule and guide and that your glory would be our supreme concern. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake and glory. Amen. Well, is there a public speech that you have heard that has had a lasting impact on you? Over the course of history, there have been many good public speeches and sermons, but there's one sermon that stands out. For 2,000 years, people have been quoting this sermon and studying this sermon. It has verses like, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. My mother used to quote that to me when I was a child. 
This particular speech is around 2,300 words long. You can read it out aloud in around 10 minutes. It was given 2,000 years ago by an itinerant preacher in a backwater of a long-gone empire. There was no television, no newspaper, no radio, let alone the internet or SMSs or social media. The preacher had no military force, no personal bodyguards, and yet parliaments around this nation have prayed a part of this speech. It has impacted our society on what we believe, how we live, how we want other people to live, and yet it's a very confronting document by a very confronting preacher. Of course, I'm speaking of the Sermon on the Mount spoken by Jesus recorded in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. It defines the character of a Christian. It has different values to the world around us on how to live, how to treat other people, what we value, our ambitions, our priorities. And throughout this sermon, Jesus is continually putting questions to you. Is this who you are? Are you living counterculturally to the world around you? And do you know what that means? The context is this. Jesus takes his followers, probably a bigger group than just his 12 disciples, up on a mountain. I say a bigger group than just his 12 disciples because Jesus' 12 disciples are not mentioned in Matthew's gospel until chapter 10. At this point in the gospel story, we know from Matthew 4, 23 to 25, that Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Large crowds are flocking from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, from beyond the Jordan to, to hear and to see him. So in our context, they've been flocking to Jesus from Queensland and Victoria. And right at the height of his popularity, Jesus does a strange thing. He walks away from the crowds. He goes up the side of a mountain. And immediately that tells you that there's something different, something countercultural about this preacher. Because what sort of preacher today walks away from a large crowd? Matthew 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That was the pattern of teachers in those days. You sat down to teach. And we're told what seems a tautology, that he opened his mouth and taught. Of course he opened his mouth to teach. But Matthew's point is, what Jesus is about to say is deliberate and it matters. The point, if you want to be disciple and follower of Jesus, then the Sermon on the Mount is for you. And we're told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verses 28 to 29, that a crowd had gathered to listen to him. In other words, if you want to listen, and stand back and check out what following Jesus is about, then the Sermon on the Mount is for you as well. Now, where does Jesus begin the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? 
What does he begin it with? Well, he begins by giving us a series of blessings, often called the Beatitudes. Jesus gives a picture in these eight statements of the identity of a Christian. Each of these eight statements that we read out earlier on in the service begins with the word blessed. The word blessed is saying this is the approved life by God. This is the best life under God. This is a life worth living. This is the character of a Christian. It is not a picture of eight different people, but eight characteristics of the one person, a Christian. So if you want to be a disciple and follower of Jesus, then the Sermon on the Mount is for you. And what do we learn about the Christian's identity from the Sermon on the Mount and from the Beatitudes? Well, while this picture of a Christian is crystal clear, it's radically different to what we would expect. The blessed here are poor. They are mournful, hungry, despised, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, pure in heart. So in this picture of the Christian, Jesus turns our definition of the good life on its head. And Jesus begins to describe the Christian's identity in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we've got to ask ourselves, what does poor in spirit mean? When Jesus spoke those words, what did he mean? And why does he begin the Sermon on the Mount with that? Why does he begin here? What does poor in spirit mean? Well, we can break it down into what it means to be poor and then what it means to be poor in spirit. At first, to be poor meant to be in literal material need. But gradually, because the needy had no refuge but God, poverty came to have spiritual overtones and to be identified with the humble dependence upon God, hence poor in spirit. So in the Old Testament, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12 says, But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 34, verse 6, that we read out earlier on in the service, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So the poor man in the Old Testament is the one who's both afflicted, unable to save himself, who therefore looks to God for salvation while recognising that he has no claim on God. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, our spiritual bankruptcy, our spiritual need before God. It means a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. It means a consciousness 
that we are nothing in the presence of God. This is to be poor in spirit. It means if we are truly Christian, we shall not rely on any natural advantages, such as our birth, that we belong to certain families or nations or nationalities, or that we have a natural status in life with money and wealth and education that we receive from the school or the, or the college that we attended. Nor shall we rely on our personality and intelligence and any special ability, nor our morality and conduct and good behaviour. It means that we've experienced what Isaiah experienced in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. So we see ourselves as spiritually needy. We've nothing that we can boast to God about in our life. It is to stand before God and to know that previously you thought that you had something to justify yourself before God. But to be poor in spirit is to see that you have nothing to justify yourself before the face of God. We feel we have nothing. We feel we are utterly spiritually bankrupt. It is to say in the bottom of your heart what the hymn writer wrote, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And God is all sufficient. Poverty of spirit ends with Gideon in the Old Testament, vanquishing the enemy hosts. But it begins with Gideon, who first affirms that he's incapable of the task. Why does the Christian life begin with poor in spirit? Why did Jesus begin the Sermon on the Mount with this? Well, there is no entry into the kingdom of God without this. There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. It means we see that we are spiritually empty. We cannot be filled unless we are first empty. There are always two sides to the gospel. There is a pull down and there's a raising up. And being convinced of our spiritual poverty always precedes our spiritual conversion. The gospel condemns before it releases and frees us. Every Christian has to face themselves. So this is a very searching spiritual test. It is totally contrary to a world that places emphasis on self-reliance, self-confidence, self-expression. So Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because this is where the Christian life begins. The poor in spirit admit their need of God. They admit their need of Jesus Christ. Now, how does this contradict the approach to life of the world? Well, in our world, this is not how you gain anything, is it? You don't gain anything like this. But the one who is poor in spirit, 
Jesus says they gain the kingdom of heaven. Notice Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven in verse 3. He does not use the term kingdom of God as Mark's gospel uses because Matthew's gospel is addressed to Jews who did not utter the name of God, whereas Mark's gospel is addressed to Romans. And the word kingdom is not being used in the sense of a physical area, such as the kingdom of Bhutan. Kingdom here is being used in the sense of a king to his subjects. It's been used relationally. So the poor in spirit see that their relationship with God is their number one priority in their discipleship. Being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, begins with being poor in spirit. The one who acknowledges their spiritual bankruptcy, emptying themselves of their self-righteousness, their moral self-esteem, their personal pride, is ready to be filled. He's ready to be justified by faith. He's ready to be declared right with God and to have peace with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ and gain heaven. It is acknowledging our inability to please God by our own works. It means being humbled to the point of repentance. It is to this person that the kingdom of heaven belongs. This is the prime requirement for entering into spiritual life. This contradicts what the world ultimately thinks matters. Now, this is definitely part in company with the rest of our culture because our culture, if nothing else, is a self-help, do-it-yourself culture, isn't it? Today we're told you can fix anything yourself, your own bathroom, your car, your computer, even your own site. Our culture is about believing in yourself. Stop listening to your negative thoughts. Although along comes a virus that we can't seem to fix and we're thrown about by it, aren't we? Jesus comes along and says, no, wait. Listen to those nagging doubts about yourself. Listen to those negative thoughts. Do you realise your spiritual bankruptcy? and spiritual poverty before God, have you acknowledged your spiritual neediness? A poor in spirit person says, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the power to change. I do need to go to someone who can help me. This is what Jesus is saying has to be the starting point of the Christian. My problems are more than psychological more than social, more than philosophical, they are spiritual. The person who's poor in spirit not only knows their problems are beyond them, but knows their problems ultimately are spiritual problems. And Jesus is saying here, by beginning the Sermon on the Mount here, he's saying you have to start there. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm going through a bad patch in my life. I'll do a few things. 
I might even go to church. I'll stop this and that. But you cannot try the God of the universe as though he's some sort of self-help program. You have to have a poverty of spirit. Lord, I'm not coming to you because I need a boost. I'm coming to you, Lord, because I owe you everything and I owe you more than I can possibly pay. I am poor in spirit. I am spiritually bankrupt. I am spiritually needy. And the point and the question, therefore, is, are you at this point? This is the first step. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount at this point because this is where spiritual life begins. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We pray, O Heavenly Father, that you will help us to really examine ourselves and see whether we acknowledge our own spiritual bankruptcy and spiritual poverty before you. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount here because this is where spiritual life begins. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake and glory. Amen.